I'm now in this job that maybe on paper looks like a dream job. And the more I went through it, the more I realized it wasn't. And about 10 months into it, I, I was fired. Hello, fellow risk takers, and welcome to my worst investment ever. Stories of loss to keep you winning. In our community, we know that to win in investing, you must take risk. But to win big, you've got to reduce it. My name is Andrew Stotts from A. Stotts Investment Research, and I'll be your worst podcast host today. And I'm here with featured guest, Christopher Connors. Christopher, are you ready to rock? Ready to do it. Let's do it, Andrew. All right. Well, Christopher Connors is the best-selling author of Emotional Intelligence for the Modern Leader and the Value of You. He's an author, executive coach, and keynote speaker who helps leaders increase their, guess what? emotional intelligence, prioritize goals, and build thriving organizations. He works with executives and leaders at Fortune 500 companies, sports organizations, schools, and universities. His writing has appeared in CNBC, World Economic Forum, Quartz, CEO World, Virgin Media, Thrive Global, Medium, and he's been a guest on Fox and ABC TV programs. Christopher is happily married to his beautiful wife, which she's not going to make an appearance today, unfortunately, ladies and gentlemen. And he is the proud father of three amazing, rambunctious, baseball-loving boys. Christopher, take a moment and fill any further tidbits about your life. Sure. Yeah, well, thanks for having me, Andrew. I live in Charleston, South Carolina here in the United States. And we just welcomed our third rambunctious boy just into the world in the last couple of weeks. And so um, it's been a very exciting and fun time right on the heels of the new book release. And Sizzling here in the hot sun in the summer in Charleston, but all is all is going well, you know, just been four months into the pandemic, but, you know, continuing to adjust and adapt a big part of EQ. So all is going well. Yeah, I got excited to learn more about this. I'll tell you a funny story about Thailand. In Thailand, people's names are pretty long. So we tend to have nicknames for everybody. And my business partner built up his career with me, a Thai man, and Sonsak is his name. He built up his career working in Excel and, you know, we built lots of models over 20 years. So when he had his son, his nickname was Excel. So I'm wondering, <laughs> we got a nickname here, COVID. <laughs> Maybe not. Anyways, well, now it's time to share your worst investment ever. And since no one ever goes into their worst investment thinking it will be, tell us a bit about the circumstances leading up to it and then tell us your story. Whew. Yeah, so I grew up just outside of New York City on Long Island and several years ago was prepared to make a big life decision. My wife is from South Carolina, my wife's from the South, and so we were living in New York and she wanted to leave. And so we decided that we were going to relocate to Atlanta. And really what happened, Andrew, was that it was a move that I think for the benefit of my family was prepared to make, but emotionally, mentally, my heart wasn't into it. And so, you know, I kind of went through with this. And I think what happened is that, you know, physically in body, <laughs> I was in Atlanta, but mentally, emotionally, spiritually, I, I was still in New York. And so I think I was living this life where I was just really struggling to kind of put the pieces together. At the time, my now oldest son was less than two years old, or not even a year old when we left. And so, you know, the adjustment there personally was tough, but then business-wise, you know, I ended up taking on probably to that point, the most prestigious job opportunity I'd ever had. I'd worked 
previously in the consulting world, but now I was going to go work for like a real marquee boutique consulting firm in a pretty premier role, very high paying gig, working with some of the top corporate clients in all of Atlanta, Coca-Cola, Delta, UPS, the Home Depot, you know, all of the, all of the big boys, right? And so I came into this role and I think that because I just wasn't really prepared all the way around, you know, I got my butt kicked and tried out on a couple of different assignments that didn't work. And so just to kind of fast forward through some of that, you know, there was a lot of things just going on in my personal life at that time, struggling to adapt and still trying to figure out a little bit more about myself in terms of what I really wanted to do, even though I thought, all right, well, I'm now in this job that maybe on paper looks like a dream job. And the more I went through it, the more I realized it wasn't. And about 10 months into it, I, I was fired. And it was, you know, really just like I got an uppercut to the face and got really knocked on my butt. And so here I was less than a year into a really move with a young son and a wife. And all of a sudden, I don't have that income coming in. And I'm still really trying to figure out, you know, what happens next. And it was, you know, at a time in my life where I, I wouldn't have expected that that would happen. I had been successful in all of the other previous jobs that I had been in. I worked for Booz Allen Hamilton previously, a consulting firm, one of the top consulting firms in the world. And, you know, pretty much succeeded in most of the roles that I was in. And so, you know, what I really learned from that experience was just, you know, here I was and, and what am I going to do next? And, and what I realized was that there had just been this burning desire that was really lying underneath the surface. And I think in my head, what I had been thinking was, well, these things are just hobbies, right? You know, writing and wanting to coach, you know, other individuals and people in business it had been something that I had done a little bit of on the side and started to build up a little bit more on the side, but not enough to be a full-time venture. And I think I had always just kind of been too fearful of, of venturing out entrepreneurially. And so it was like all of these things coalesced at one time. And, you know, that, that kind of fear of what do I do next? And then once I got knocked on my butt, you know, it was, I'm either going to, you know, just stay down or I'm going to really get up and change my life and do things. And so I think for me, the worst ever, and, and it was hard to kind of admit at the time, but now several years later was, you know, just getting fired from a pretty high profile job just after I had relocated my family to a totally different part of the country and having to really admit to a lot of different people that knew me, you know, a very, very humbling defeat at a time where I thought I was going in the opposite direction. Mm. So tell us the lessons that you learned from this. Yeah. Wow. How much time do you have? <laughs> you got all the time in the world until you get sleepy and tired. <laughs> well, what I found so intriguing in, in learning more about your podcast is, is going to come into my answer to this question. Mm. You know, I really, for the first time in my life came to, embody and live and breathe and just live and breathe what has become one of my core beliefs, which is that adversity really is your best friend. One of my favorite quotes, it's a Robert Collier quote, is that in, in every adversity, there's the opportunity or the equivalent seed of an advantage. That in, in every adversity, there is always an opportunity that is going to come out of that if we think of it that way and then we act upon it. And so, I finally started doing something several years ago that I had been always wanting to do, which was putting my writing out there in the public sphere, so to speak. And at first I started a blog. I then started publishing my writing on Medium. And that led to some freelance opportunities. And it led to opportunities of getting 
articles that I had written, published in publications like, you know, I think some of the ones that you mentioned at the top of the, the podcast here and CNBC and World Economic Forum, I mean, things started happening to me that I probably wouldn't have imagined previously because I actually just started taking the initiative to go after the things that I, I really did have the skills for, but had previously been just, just kind of too afraid to do. I think I was somebody that, you know, had previously lacked having a plan in his life. And I, I know we talked a little bit off the air here before we got on about how, you know, you provide a great structure for all of your guests, which you do. And I think for me that, you know, I desperately needed that. I needed structure, but I needed a plan. So another big learn, you know, lesson learned that came out of that is that, you know, you, you have to have a plan in life. And one of my favorite quotes, as corny as it is, it's a Dwight Eisenhower quote, and it's, you know, plans are nothing, planning is everything. <laughs> and knowing that plans will change, but that doesn't mean that you shouldn't plan. <laughs> and so I think for me, it was just recognizing like, I cannot fly by the seat of my pants. You know, what I was doing is no longer working and I have to change and I have to start making actionable all of these things that I've always really believed. And it was just kind of that moment of reckoning of like moving from thinking and talking about to actually doing. And so I, I mustered up the courage to start putting my writing out there. I started doing, you know, some online workshops and I started you know, giving talks more locally. And that, you know, it was just like, I really do think I'm the prime example of someone, Andrew, that I had to kind of get <laughs> badly kicked on my butt to realize that I need to start putting myself out there and doing the things that I really do believe God put me here to do that I'm meant to do. And ever since I started doing that, good things have come from it. I leaned back on the things that I had learned previously in my career in addition to what I learned, and I learned a tremendous amount, you know, about how I failed and what I needed to do, both from a strategic and tactical standpoint to get better as a consultant, as a business professional, and started to deploy that into the work that I do. And it's led to, you know, getting to work with some truly extraordinary people as a coach. It's been getting to work with, you know, as a speaker to go in front of audiences of several thousands of people and mm -hmm. talk. And so, Getting knocked on my butt was the best thing that could have happened to me. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm going to, before I give some of my thoughts on your, what you've talked about, I just, I had a question in my mind, you know, in a way you were a consultant, you know, a coach, you know, you were that before and after this event. And the question I have is after all this, and you look at your interactions today with the executive management of companies, what is it? that you can bring to them that directly comes from that loss? Excellent question. Something that I would probably parlay off of the previous question that I may not have fully addressed, which is that you have to live in the present moment. If you're living in the past, you know, and that was what happened to me. It was the geographic move, but it was also, you know, just the life that I used to have kind of thing. And I think that both personally and professionally, you have to be living in the present moment. And so as far as executive coaching goes, you know, look at what's been happening in the last four months. I think what we're seeing is that the leaders that are making smart, intelligent moves are ones that are really acting very strategically. They're looking at both the present and the future. You know what they're not doing? <laughs> they're, they're not looking to the past because the past is gone. And I think the companies that we're starting to see that are really struggling, you know, some that have just been impacted or would have been impacted by a global pandemic and not much you could do about it. But, you know, there's other companies out there that are struggling 
because they just haven't adapted to the times of mm-hmm. the last four months. You have to be agile. You have to be strategic. And so some of the leaders that I work with and I have the benefit of working with a chief financial officer of a healthcare technology company in the Silicon Valley. I work with a athletic director at a division one university here in the States. And the common thread that I've seen in the two of them, as well as many other people that I've spoken to has been they're they're very focused on delegating to people to, to act upon the day-to-day. They're very aware and very plugged into what's happening on the day-to-day. So they're living in the present moment in that regard, but they're strategically looking forward to the next two months, three months, four months, but also to the next year or two. Mm. And they're making decisions that are in the best interest of the institution, the organization, the company that they work for with a lot of self-awareness and a lot of you know empathy going into emotional intelligence of understanding and caring about the people that they lead both in the present and in the future. So I think that's the best answer to that question yep. because it's it's that you're not looking behind you to the past. There's there's lessons to be learned from the past, but if you're living in the present moment as if it were three months ago, you're you're lost. You're gone. Yeah. I mean, and, and that's that's as true in fine. <laughs> exactly. That that's as true in investing as it is in any business, in any, you know, in any really organization, I think. And let me just ask one other question, you know, in relation to your book about emotional intelligence, you know, a very common, the very common emotions that people have been going through is fear and panic, panic related to, oh my God, everybody's going to die. And, you know, fear of, I'm going to lose my job or this company's going to collapse or I can't keep my company afloat. You know, there's so much fear and panic. And I just wonder if you can give advice to the CEO or the business leaders out there and anyone out there to help them to think about what you've learned about emotional intelligence and how they could apply that to get through this time. Sure. So I I think of it through a couple of ways. The self-management side of it, we talked about it a little bit of having a structure, having a plan for your day to day. So being well organized at a time like this is so important. Mm -hmm. Knowing that strategies, plans, things are shifting on a nearly day-to-day basis, but being well-planned in terms of the day-to-day execution of the responsibilities that you have, knowing who to delegate to, and also just taking the time to give a pulse check and check in with the people that you lead. I think that the number one thing that I've, you know, taken away from the coaching in terms of, you know, relationships, like people would think, God, everything is virtual right now. What do you mean? How are you building relationships in a virtual environment? I actually think similar to the quote that I used before from the Robert Collier quote, like this adversity is a tremendous opportunity to get to know the people in your organization better and to maybe start tapping into some of the strengths that they had that they weren't previously using, but could be maybe of major value right now, given how much the scope of things has changed. You know, I, the athletic organization that I work with, that athletic director has, has really tapped on the shoulder several different people to do you know, things that they weren't previously doing. And it's going to a tremendous advantage of theirs, you know, realizing that not everybody lives in a silo and that there's a lot of very versatile and talented people out there. The only way that you find that out is by investing in those people. It's investing time to get to know some of those people. You know, unfortunately, companies have had to cut people. So now there's there's people that kind of by nature, by default, are, are doing multiple different things. But mm. you know, so from a self-management standpoint, from a leading with empathy standpoint, and I think that, you know, the last thing I'll say is that, you know, motivation is the other, you know, another big part of emotional intelligence that we maybe haven't quite touched on. So, you know, for me, what I've seen as well, Andrew, it's not just about going and giving a pep talk, right? It's not about that. It's really about 
you know, looking at each individual, looking at the organization as a whole and helping them to find that intrinsic motivation inside of themselves to be giving their best every day at a time where you're maybe working from home and you got kids around, but it's, you know, igniting that passion inside of them, letting them know that you care, but also, you know, providing optimism and hope for the future, even if there doesn't appear to be some in the short term of just, you know, letting people know that you got their back and that it's not just about, you know, rah-rah pep talk and let's do well today. It's about a future seeking motivation of positive outlook. Got it. So lots of good stuff there, planning, talking to your people, getting closer, you know, taking advantage of people's strengths that you may not have seen before that are shining through. Here's a few things that, you know, I take away from what you say is that, and what your story talks about is that, you know, sometimes we just have to hit bottom. It has to get hard enough and painful enough, you know, to decide that I'm going to do something different. And sometimes life actually just gives us something different, <laughs> you know, like, oh, you're fired, which I got fired from a job. I mean, I've gotten fired from a few, but I got fired from a job kind of in the middle of my career and it was brutal. I mean, I remember walking out and not everybody in the company knew exactly. And, in, you know, as one of my friends in America says, I didn't get fired. I got quit. and so yeah i kind of got quit so you could walk out of there and say you know i resigned but truthfully i was fired and you know i i didn't feel like i should have been fired and there was reasons why but all that but there was not much i could do about that and i walked out and i first thing that mattered was that i have a great best friend my friend dale lee here who's also in bangkok and i said i need i need to spend time with you right now And we just went out for a quiet dinner, you know, got a cubicle far away, you know, and and just talked. And I just said to him, my life is ruined. My career is ruined. I have no hope. I have no chance to recover from this. It's, you know, I just don't see a way. He's like, just take it easy, relax. And a couple of months later, another company, a competing company, basically came to talk to me and asked me if I'd like to interview for this same job I was doing at the other company. And I interviewed with them and then, you know, I had to make a decision about to what degree I would tell them what, what happened and all that. And they asked me and I just told them exactly what happened. And they said, okay. And they hired me and it turned out they were the number one broker and investment bank in Asia at the time. And then I got voted the number one analyst in Thailand as a result of that. And I don't think I would have been voted. I was voted number two at the prior one. So what ended up happening was that It is our adversities and our struggles and our mistakes and our losses that spur us to new opportunities. And that, you know, is a little bit about, you know, how that same type of thing happened to me. So in a way, when we talk about my worst investment ever in this context, what's been most interesting answer to the next question I'm going to ask you. I'm going to ask you this question and I'm going to tell you the most interesting answer I got. And it may be your answer also, but it's this question is based on what you learned from this story and what you continue to learn, what one action would you recommend our listeners take to avoid suffering the same fate? And the most interesting answer I ever got is just do it. Like just actually make the mistake. I was like, how can you tell someone to make a mistake, you know, on this podcast? But actually what he was saying is that, you know, sometimes you have to go through it, you know, and suffer a bit. And that's what brings growth. But anyways, 
what would be your advice for a person who is close to your situation? Sure. Well, I, I think I think that is the best answer. So I'm I'm already uh, outdone here in, in what I'm going to say. Yeah, I mean, in terms of where I was, you know, I I think Andrew, I think there were a lot of things happening behind the scenes. I I think that. I don't know, maybe this is a little bit where the spiritual side of me comes out, that I, I believe that I was destined to go on to do the things that I'm doing right now. And I was boxing myself in, but part of it was some of the voices around me. I mean, this is what's interesting that I've learned in life, and that I, I love my family, my, my birth family, more than anything. And yet, I was getting a lot of very conservative advice. You know, you have to be a businessman, you have to go into the office, you have to do this job, and that's just the way to... I, I didn't come from a family of entrepreneurs. And I love, I love my, my mom and dad and my brothers to death. I mean, but I've always been given very, very conservative advice. And so I think that I felt, well, I got to do the right thing. And the right thing is this version of whatever the conventional way of going about the typical kind of American businessman life where, you know, that's just, that's not who I am. I mean, it was who I was. That's a funny thing. Until it wasn't. It was, it was who I was until it wasn't right. And, uh, and that's the thing is that I built this life that because I didn't have this grand plan for exactly how it was going to unfold, you know, I, I guess I just assumed, well, this is just going to keep carrying on. And, and it didn't. And it had a shelf life to it. So I, I think what I, what I would, you know, probably just in, in summary say would be, you know, listen, listen to your heart about what you really want to do. And, and the other big part of my story, I think specifically was, it wasn't just the shift in geography. It wasn't just the move it was like continuing to progress down a road that had already ended. And I didn't see that in that moment because I thought, well, I have to provide for my family and I got to keep doing this because this is what I've been doing. And I think that, you know, it's kind of like the same answer that you sometimes find in the consultant world. And I'll, I'll finish with this point mm-hmm. is that a lot of the work that I would do in consulting was kind of business process improvement, you know, going into leading organizations helping them to get better about the way that they do their business processes. And very cliche, but this is what happens. You come and you start to ask people, well, why do you do things this way? Well, it's because it's the way we've always done it. Well, why have you always done it this way? And there's no answer because they weren't there for the way that it was set up before them years and years and years and years. And I think that I would end with that analogy, which is to say that you know, why was I doing what I was doing? Because that's the way that I had been doing it. And it goes back to some of the things that we talked about earlier is that I think when you have a plan, you know, lean into the thing that you really want to do. And when you're passionate about something and you have the skills and the experience and the talent to do it, do it, do it. Don't live in the past be willing to adapt. And that, you know, in the end with emotional intelligence, adaptability is everything. It's the world that we've been forced into in the last four months. But in terms of just making decisions, it's adapting and being willing to try something new, having an open mind to see, I'm going to do something different than what I've been doing. Even if I don't know what that road looks like yet, I'm going to give it a shot. Because I think that my passion, my talents, my skills, and my experiences line up to make me do it even if I haven't purely been doing that for the last four months. And so I think it's, you know, it's having the courage to go and do something different, even, you know, even when you're not totally sure what that's going to look like. Fantastic. Well, last question. What's your number one goal for the next 12 months? 
<laughs> to be a great dad, and, and I really mean that. We just welcomed a, a newborn child into the world. My family is first and foremost, you know, the most important thing in my life. I would have told you a different answer four months ago from a professional <laughs> standpoint. I would have told you that you continue to you know, get out on, on a tour for my book and be having speaking engagements that are not just in support of that, but just because I, I have a real passion for you know, getting on the stage and even doing workshops to help educate people on emotional intelligence and more importantly, to give them that skill to use so that they can use it to their advantage in business and in life. But I think more from a professional standpoint, it's just, you know, continuing to build up my coaching business and working with, you know, people that I deeply admire in a, in a variety of industries. And, you know, I definitely have some ideas for a third book coming up. And so I think that, you know, starting to lay the foundation for that. Exciting, exciting. Well, listeners, there you have it. Another story of loss to keep you winning. To find more stories like this, previous episodes, and resources to help you reduce your risk, go to myworstinvestmentever.com. And as we end, Christopher, I want to thank you again for coming on the show. I know it's difficult talking about our losers, but our audience is learning to win as a result. Also, I want to congratulate you for being one of the brave ones because most people say, Andrew, no thank you. I'd prefer to talk about my winners. So you've now taken your worst investment ever and turn it into your best teaching moment. Do you have any parting words for the audience? Just to have the initiative to go after something that your heart is telling you to do and to put it into a plan and not just jump into anything, not just to jump into the execution stage immediately, but to follow your heart and your intuition, to mix it together with a plan that couples with the talent, skills, experiences that you have, and then to just go for it. And so, and live in the present. You know, that, that's, that's my lesson. So thank you so much for having me, Andrew. Thank you. Well, if you are a modern leader, you need to go get emotional intelligence for the modern leader and make sure that you got your EQ working right. That's a wrap on another great story to help us create, grow, and most importantly, protect our wealth. Fellow risk takers, this is Andrew Stotts, the podcast host who is worst. And I'm saying I'll see you on the upside.